Good morning. You guys are very gracious. My wife, Gina, is sitting here with me, and we are living by faith this weekend because my 16-year-old has my car while we're out of town. So I appreciate your prayers for the next six hours or so before we get back home. Uh, So far, we have not received a text or a phone call saying that anything is wrong with my vehicle or my son. We feel your pain. We started school last Wednesday. My wife teaches in our public school system. My daughter is a freshman. Every morning is a miracle and an act of God to get her up and get her ready. So moms, dads, I understand. Uh, My wife has it planned out perfectly because she gets up, gets ready for work, and leaves. So it's my responsibility to get my daughter up and get her out the door. Uh, My son's a little bit easier, but school's back in for us, so we certainly understand what you guys are going through, those of you who've already started, and unfortunately for those of you who have to start uh, this week. Glad to be here. We love coming to Nashville. We've got to visit a few times, but it's our first time here. Uh, Grateful for Justin and his invitation uh, to come and worship with you. Your band, you you should guys should hear them pray before they come lead worship. Uh, So uh, God's God's just working through them, preparing them, and uh, they did a phenomenal job uh, leading us in worship. And I know you've been walking through a series, this Journey with God series. And and one of the biggest struggles, let's just be perfectly honest with ourselves this morning, one of our biggest struggles in our faith journey is the issue of trusting God. It's that belief that God's going to come through when he says he's going to come through. It's that that assurance that knowing God is going to, to follow his promises, take care of those things he promised, take care of us in our journey, and in our process. And if we could take a step forward in our faith this morning, it would be a step forward in belief and trust and trusting in him just a little bit more. Because again, if we're all perfectly a little genuine and authentic this morning, we'd all have to admit we don't always trust God. Would you all agree with that? And it's okay to be honest in church. Would you agree? that It's just because we don't see God all the time. We don't visibly and, and tangibly touch God. So sometimes we struggle with just that, that issue of trust and belief. And as you've been journeying through Genesis these past few weeks, you, you kind of already know, hey, God does things differently than how we would do them. Yeah, exactly. He, he, me and God aren't always on the same page in how we do some things. Okay, Timing. God's timing is dramatically different than our timing. I mean, we're going to jump in here in Genesis 18 and 21 in just a second, and we're going to continue talking about Sarah and Abraham. And at this point, we're picking up the passage where God had given a promise to Sarah and Abraham 24 years ago. That's a long time to be waiting on a promise to be fulfilled. And we, you've already seen how they've struggled with waiting on that promise a little bit by inserting Hagar in this process and, and, and having a son outside of the relationship between Sarah and Abraham. And so God's timing's a little bit different. The way God does things is different than the way we would do it. Have, have you ever gotten to the point where you've had a conversation with God and you've said, hey, I got this. If we could just do it this way, how does that work out in the end for you? It never works out well. So God's timing is different. His ways are different. His process is different. 
And guaranteed, the outcome's a whole lot better when we trust God and allow him to fulfill his promises than when we take control. Anybody control freak? Most of us have a little bit of that in us, some more than others. Don't hit your wife or your spouse. But if we're going to take a step forward in our faith, if we're going to grow towards God, trust has to be part of that. Letting go and letting, letting go of that control has to be part of that. And, and I've got to admit, this morning I had to go to Walmart and get some new readers because I was reading this morning and I could not see a thing, and that's just part of getting old. So um, y'all get to see me in my new readers this morning. As we dive into this passage too, I don't want us to miss being in awe and having a sense of amazement of how God works. Sometimes when we read things in scripture, it's just this automatic thought process that, well, amazing things are supposed to happen in scripture. And we just become a little bit numb to how God's at work and the absolute miracles that take place in real people's lives, just like us. Because sometimes we look at people in the Bible and we put them on this different plane or this different pedestal, like they don't live the same life we live. And they didn't have the same struggles that we have. And they didn't fight with their spouse or argue with their teenager or get mad when their kid woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning every night for the first seven months. And as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to give ourselves the freedom to just be a little bit amazed and a little bit in awe of God at work. Can you do that? Can you, can you open up your heart and your mind just a little bit to, to be willing to be a little bit amazed instead of just reading a passage of scripture and going, oh, I've heard that before. Because this is probably not a new story to most of us in the room. But we're 24 years waiting on a promise. And I want us to read Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 10. And what's leading up to this is that, that Abraham was sitting on the edge of his tent. Some visitors come. Abraham jumps up. He begins to go have a conversation with the guests. And then picking it up in chapter 18, verse 10, Scripture says this, The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time. Really? I've been waiting 24 years. Really, you're going to come back again? Can't, can't we just take care of whatever needs to be taken care of? Are we still going to continue to wait? The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, so she laughed. So she laughed to herself after I am worn out and my Lord and, and, and my Lord is old, will I have delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything, underline this in your passage if you don't already have it underlined, is anything impossible for the Lord? <laughs> At the appointed time, I will come back to you in about a year, and she will have a son. So after 24 years, we're finally moving to the fulfillment of a promise. 
of a miracle, of something God had said is going to happen, and we've waited, and we've waited, and we've waited, and we've probably been discouraged along the process, and we've doubted along the way, and now it's going to be another year, but God says, hey, you're going to have a child. And we look at this miracle in Scripture, and we say, wow, that is absolutely incredible. We can stand in awe of what God is doing and fulfilling that promise. And here's a woman that's past her years of childbearing, well past her years of childbearing, and God's going to fulfill the promise of her having a son. There was an article back in 1981 of a woman who lived in Chicago. And I want to share this story with you because, again, sometimes we look at Scripture and go, oh, man, that's, that's Scripture. There should be miracles there. Would we acknowledge that miracles take place every day? Yes. We, we, are not, we are not past God's time of granting miracles. If you would be honest and look at the last 12 to 18 months of your life, you could probably find some miracles in that last 12 to 18 months. You could probably find some things that you could only explain by God at work in you and your circumstances. And here back in 1981, this woman whose ovaries had ceased to exist three years prior got pregnant and had a baby. Multiple doctors from multiple hospitals were amazed. And as a matter of fact, she quotes that this is impossible, the doctor said, impossible. She was 35 years old at the time. She'd already gone through menopause, her doctor said. The woman had been diagnosed with premature ovarian failure, but yet she had a baby. Now, this is kind of real to us as a family because we we didn't know if we'd ever be able to have children. So when we lived in Austin, Texas, after being married for a while, trying to have kids, we started the process of all the medical stuff. Now, Sarah and Abraham didn't have in vitro fertilization and all those kind of things. And so, uh, so, so we went through all the shots and all the stuff and, and, and all that jazz. And, um, and, and we, shopped short, we stopped short of in vitro fertilization, but we had not gotten pregnant. And we were going to a great doctor. He was renowned in the area. And uh, our bank account was low because insurance didn't pay for all that stuff. And we had just enough to try one more time. So we talked and we're like, hey, sure, let's try it one more time. Now, I have to be honest, the angel of the Lord had not come to us in our backyard and said, you're going to have a child. That had not happened. But we believed in our hearts that God was going to give us kids. We didn't know how. We had been to some adoption meetings. We didn't know if God was going to do it that way or biologically. And so we ended up getting pregnant with our last dollars to pay the doctor. Well, did that happen by chance? This is where you respond. (laughs) It is okay to respond in church. Did that happen by chance? No, maybe God was taking us on a journey of trust because it didn't work the first time, it didn't work the second time, it didn't work the third time, and all we're doing is writing checks. And honestly, getting a little frustrated, getting a little concerned, is this ever going to happen? 
And then we get pregnant. Well, she got pregnant. (laughs) I gained weight too. (laughs) Then we find out there are two. Then we find out one's not going to make it. So we get Landon, our oldest son, 16 years and three months ago. He's driving, pray. So, of course, the doctor says if you ever want to have more children, you're going to have to go through all this again. Really? Okay. So God moved us from Austin to Cincinnati, Ohio, from sun and heat and warmth to Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, don't be offended if you're from Cincinnati. We moved in November. It was 75, 78 degrees and sunny in Austin. Literally, I pull into Cincinnati, Ohio. It's like 37 and raining with a little bit of sleet mixed in. And I'm thinking, really, Lord? So a couple of months go by. My wife calls me. Come home, come home. Come home, there's a little stick that says... You're pregnant. That was Lily Catherine Ergel, our, our second gift from God. No medication, no doctor's visits, no writing a bunch of checks to a doctor when your insurance doesn't cover something. God had a plan. Do you trust God's plan for you? Now think about that. Just don't, just don't say yes, because that's the churchy thing to say. Do you really trust God's plan for you. And that doesn't mean every now and then you don't wonder about that plan. Because Abraham and Sarah definitely had times where they wondered about the plan. But they also had times where they were, they were full in trusting that God was going to come through. So this conversation happens. And Sarah's told, hey, a year from now. But did you catch the fact that she laughed in that passage of Scripture? You, you think that laughter was just a little bit of, yeah, I'm sure. Just a little bit of doubt maybe in there or a little bit of, is this really, really, really going to happen after all this time? Let me read it to you again. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in their years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, so she laughed to herself. It was that, it was that kind of hesitation. I'm not sure if this is really going to happen, but I'm going to... I'm going to roll with what's taking place here. And we're going to see in chapter 21, she laughs again, but the tone of her laughter is going to be incredibly different. First thing I want you to see this morning is this. God will do what he's promised to do. God will do what he's promised to do. That, for those of us on a journey of faith or exploring who Jesus is and exploring what a relationship is, with the God of all creation would be for you, that should be exciting to us that God fulfills his promises and does what he says he's going to do. That should give us daily hope. You know, in John 10, 10, it's one of my favorite passages in scripture. It says the first part of it's really, really kind of dark. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But the second part of the verse says, but I have come that you might have life. And it doesn't stop there. 
And depending on your translation, it says, and have it more abundantly or have it to the full. I believe that speaks of two times. One, it does speak to eternity, but it also speaks to the here and now as we walk and live out our faith on a day-to-day basis. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full, to enjoy it, to know the blessings of God, to know Jesus intimately. So the fact that God will do what he promised to do For those of us living in that relationship, that should be exciting and it should be motivating as well. Motivating when things get a little tough. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Have you ever felt like God has left you or forsaken you? Anybody? Again, it's okay to answer in church. Anybody? Yeah, there have, there have been times, if we're all honest, that we felt God had distanced himself from us. Hey, God, are you hearing my prayers? I keep knocking on the door and you don't seem to be answering. Where are you? But scripture says to me and to you, not just to those that lived in biblical times, scripture says to me and to you, hey, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You are not on your own. Remember, we're 24 years into this now. About halfway through, what happens? Sarah brings this idea. She kind of steps to the side of God's will and says, Hey, I've got a maidservant. Since I can't have children, Abraham, let's do this. And they have a child. And Abraham has a son. But that's not the son that God intended him to have, which he was going to bring a blessing through. And now they're getting the one-year countdown. Okay? Let's skip on over to chapter 21 real quick. Chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. The Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Do you see a pattern here? The Lord says something, he acts. The Lord says something, he acts. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the appointed time, God had told him. Don't catch that. Don't don't skip over that phrase, at the appointed time. God's timing is always the best. God's timing is always the best. At the appointed time, Sarah was supposed to have a child. Guess what she did? She had a child. God's promise fulfilled. The one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight years old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old. Can you imagine, guys? Oh, wow. Old when his son Isaac was born to him. So, so again, just do the math. I'm not a mathematician, but if he circumcised him when he was eight... Now Abraham's 108 and has an eight-year-old son. Yeah. Wow. I need a little bit of help. Verse 6. Sarah said, God has made me laugh. Remember laughter from chapter 18? 
God has made me laugh, and now everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham and Sarah would, that Abraham and that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne a son for him in his old age? So we've moved from a laughter of doubt and hesitancy to a laughter of joy, a laughter of fulfillment, a laughter that God has come through and done what he said he was going to do. Maybe you could tell some of those stories where you were hesitant and you had that doubtful laughter, but then God came through and what did we do at that moment? We rejoice. And we enjoy the fulfillment of the promises of God. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. I think we're going to have this on the screen from the message. Do we have that, guys? Yeah. So how do we fit what we know of Abraham, our first father in the faith, into this new way of looking at things? If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. But the story we're given is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in Scripture is Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right inside of trying to be right on his own. If you're a hard worker and you do a good job, you deserve your pay, we don't call your wages a gift. But if you see that the job is too big for you, that it's something only God can do, and you trust him to do it, you could never do it for yourself. No matter how hard and long you worked, well, that trusting him to do it is what gets you set right with God, by God, sheer gift. David confirms this way of looking at it, saying that the one who trusts God to do the putting everything right without insisting on having a say in it is one fortunate man. Fortunate those whose crimes are carted off, whose sins are wiped clean from the slate. Fortunate the person against whom the Lord does not keep score. Do you think for a minute that this blessing is only pronounced over those of us who keep our religious ways and are circumcised? Or do you think it is possible that the blessing could be given to those who never even heard of our ways, who never brought up in the who were never brought up in the disciplines of God? We all agree, don't we, that it was by embracing what God did for him that Abraham was declared fit before God. Abraham entered in to what God was doing. We have a barbecue restaurant near our house. It's called Williamson Brothers Barbecue. If you ever come to Canton, Georgia, I'll take you there. Okay? It sits right at an intersection where there's a traffic light, four-way traffic light. And when the wind blows the right way, you smell the barbecue. If you sit too long at the traffic light, you will be tempted to change course and pull in to the barbecue restaurant. A gentleman named Reyes is a friend of mine. He runs, he's the manager of the restaurant. 
And sometimes what they will do is they will bring a smoker out to the corner of the parking lot that is literally right beside the street, and they will smoke meat right there. And here's, what, here's why they do that. It's an invitation to come in. And it smells really good. I mean, really good. But it's an invitation to come in and do what? Eat. And if you take the invitation and you come in and eat, it's really good. You know what God's invitation is? For us to come in and engage in that relationship that only he can give us. To engage in a, in a relationship by faith in the son Jesus Christ Entering into a relationship where our sins are forgiven, we're given a home in heaven for all of eternity, but for the here and now living out the promises of a faithful God. Are you engaged in that relationship? As God's invited you in, have you, have you stepped across that line? Have you gone inside to engage in that relationship that God offers to you and to me? Did you get the fact that this wasn't Abraham's story? It was the story of God and how God was at work and Abraham was part of it and joined in. We're all participating in his story, God's story, joining him, not the other way around. God didn't create us to do his bidding. God created us to worship him and enjoy being engaged in an intimate relationship with our Father. If you remember from last week, the message last week, we've entered into a covenant relationship by invitation, not a contractual relationship that can just simply be broken. Second thing I want you to notice this morning we are partakers in the promise, we are partakers in His promise. We get to live in it. We get to experience it. We get to see it play out moment by moment, day by day in our lives. Though we often mess up what God has intended and he steps into our mess, and living out faith can be messy. Would you agree? Because we don't always get it right. It can be messy, but you know what? God's not scared of mess. He's not scared of my mess and he's not scared of your mess. God wants to step into our mess. God wants to walk in our mess with us. We see a couple of things about the Lord here. Let's look in Genesis chapter 21. Let's move down to verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham held a great feast on the day Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son mocking the one, the one Hagar the Egyptian had done, had born for Abraham. So she said to Abraham, drive out the slave with her son, for the son of the slave will not be a co-heir with my son Isaac. So you see this kind of attitude shift that takes place with Sarah. You know, she had the idea for Abraham to have a son with, with Hagar, and now that that's happened, but now her promise has been fulfilled, and now she's struggling 
with the fact that she's seeing Ishmael and she's seeing Hagar and, and she knows that that wasn't God's perfect plan. And so she goes to Abraham and says, get them out of here. And we're going to see Abraham's a little torn because Abraham has a heart for his son. Verse 11, this was very distressing to Abraham because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed about the boy, about your slave. Whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her because your offspring will be traced through Isaac. And I will also make a nation of the slave's son because he is your offspring. Early in the morning, Abraham got up, took bread and a water skin and put them on Hagar's shoulders and sent her and the boy away. She left and wandered in the wilderness of Bathsheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she left the boy under one of the bushes and went and sat at a distance, about a bow shot away. For she said, I cannot bear to watch the boy die. And while she sat at a distance, she wept aloud. So here's the picture. Abraham says, you guys got to go. Here's some bread. Here's some water. Get rolling. But he also says that he's going to bless that son, even though the original blessing was not intended to be on that child. That child was innocent. That's, that child just showed up in the story. But God chooses to bless and build a nation through that child. And so there are a couple of things I want us to notice here. One, he is compassionate when we're ignorant. When things don't make sense to us and we don't know which way to turn and we don't know what the answers are, God is compassionate when we are ignorant. I think God's compassion with our lack of knowledge, you know, it's been, it's, again, it's been 25 years. Here's this story going on and, and, now, and now Sarah's not sure what to do with this child that it was her idea for Abraham to have with her slave. It just doesn't all make sense. Can't wrap my arms around what I'm supposed to do. So she comes with an idea, let's just send them away. They make me uncomfortable. So God shows compassion on Hagar and shows compassion on Ishmael. He's also compassionate when we, compassionate when we interfere. Remember, Sarah interfered in the process. She stuck her nose in it. She messed up what was God's perfect plan. But now what did he continue to do? Work towards fulfilling his promise. And he's compassionate when we're innocent. Ishmael was innocent. Here's a child that came into the world. Didn't choose to be born into that family, into that situation. But he was. So God shows compassion. Well, Brian, where's the compassion? Because he's fixing to die under a bush. Well, the story doesn't stop there. The story doesn't stop there. Verse 17 picks up, God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid. For God has heard your boy crying from the place where he is. Get up, help the boy up, and grasp his hand, for I will make him a great nation. Hold it. He needs water. He's about to die. And here comes the angel of the Lord saying, 
I'm going to make him a great nation. God's compassionate when we're innocent. Ishmael was innocent. But God is going to found a great nation through him. God was projecting a long-term promise before addressing the short-term need. Which the short-term need was what? Water. Some food. Hagar was distressed, as any mother would be, about the potential of their child passing away. Again, a few things not to skip over right here. Don't skip over the fact that God heard Ishmael weeping and crying. When we hurt, that does not escape God. When there's pain in our life, it does not escape the Lord. He heard him and he saw him. Maybe, just maybe, God's got his eye on us. He's watching over us to take care of us. Let's move along real quickly. To... Verse 17, God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid, for God has heard the boy crying in the place. Get up, help the boy. Grasp his hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well. She went and filled the water skin and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew up. He settled in the wilderness and became an archer. He was innocent in the process, but God had compassion. And not only did he have compassion, in that compassion he actually made another promise specific to Ishmael. Again, God comes through on his promises. Third thing, real quick, I want you to see today. We are ambassadors of God's promises. We are ambassadors as Christ's followers. We are ambassadors. We get to share those promises together, but we also get to proclaim those promises to those who do not yet have a relationship with God. I know I'm in Tennessee. I'm a huge college football fan. And I don't root for any team in Tennessee. Sorry. I am born and bred a Georgia Bulldog. Thank you. Thank you. Let's do lunch, okay? I went to the University of Georgia. I did not play football at the University of Georgia. Went to games. Love my dogs. As you might love your team. If you came to my house and you looked in my closet, guess what you'd see? You'd see a lot of red and black. Maybe even a little bit too much red and black. I could, I could go every day pretty much wearing red and black. I toned it. I went red and blue for y'all today, okay? But Why? Because I'm passionate about my dogs. When they lose, oh, it hurts. I'm still getting over that national championship game. No, I hadn't, I hadn't gotten over it at all, actually. Now that I just began to verbalize, I hadn't gotten over it at all. But when we're passionate about something, it permeates who we are what we wear, 
how we speak. See where I'm going with this? When we're engaged in our relationship with God, we're His ambassadors. Because that engagement, that engagement defines who we are. Being Being a dog fan doesn't define who I am. Being a Christ follower defines who I am. And when we're, when we're passionate about something, when we're full of something, guess what? It simply overflows. We're God's mouthpiece. Did you, did you know that you're God's mouthpiece? Students, do you know that you're God's mouthpiece to your friends on your campus, in your home? Ma'am, sir, in your office, in your neighborhood, in that, in that club or PTA, whatever you're involved in, did you know that you're God's mouthpiece? You're his ambassador? We have that opportunity to be light in the darkness, to be the one that brings hope to people who are hopeless, as we live out an engaged faith and as we're ambassadors of a holy God who sent his son not just to die for everybody who's gathered in church this morning but to die for all of mankind that mankind might be reconciled to God through the gift of his son Jesus Christ that's what we're ambassadors of so we have a God that fulfills his promises which that should be exciting We have a God who takes care of us, and we have a God that wants us to take part in being his ambassadors. Wherever he's planted us and wherever he's put us. Three quick things, and then we're done. A couple of questions. Are you still excited that God does what he promises? Do you still have that that, that childlike faith of excitement that God does what he promises and that impacts you and that plays out in your life and in my life? I shared with you a little bit about our story about having kids and how God came through. If we stayed in church all afternoon and went around the room my guess is we'd hear a lot of stories about how God's fulfilled promises in your life and the lives of those that have impacted you and your family. Those are, those are stones to build on. Those are things to keep at the forefront of our mind. This week's challenge, how will you show your excitement to others? How are you going to express your excitement to others? How are you going to live out your faith with others? Wow, that's a big difference. Do I need to go back? Did y'all not hear some of that? No, I'm just kidding. How is your faith this week? Not six months from now, not a year from now. This week, how is your faith going to impact somebody else? What position is God going to put you in this week to make a positive spiritual impact in the life of somebody else? 
I guarantee you, if you look for the opportunity, it will be provided for you. If you're willing to step across that line and engage in that, I promise God will give you those opportunities. So a challenge for this week is to look for that and to step into it. Do something unexpected and out of the ordinary in obedience this week. This very week, look for the opportunities that God's going to give you.